0: This is The 966, episode 86. Hello, Richard. Hey, how how you you doing? Good, Um, good.
1: You do such a good job on intros, I was thinking that, you know, at some point, you know, one of us will have to, you know, I'll have to carry the load for the other. And I'm going, I would I do an intro because Lucian's are really
0: good. Well, I'll give you, thank you. I will give you my AI plugin. I'm not actually a human being. This is just an AI thing. And <laughs> are, you out, are you out playing with the kids right now? <laughs> yeah, but just, the real <laughs> Lucian is not here and this is a bot. <laughs> um, no, thank you. Yes. Um, well, we like to get it, we add a little structure to the show with an intro, and everybody probably notices this now, our, our regular listeners, but um, we sort of have a, a normal format that we follow, and we like to do it that way because it is comfortable for us, Richard, so um, we hope that people like it.
1: Yeah, that's right. I guess familiarity breeds love. Yes. And appreciation. <laughs> and viewers is that how it goes? Isn't how the saying goes?
0: Apparently is how it's going for the 966 <laughs> because the viewership and listenership keeps growing and now is kind of staggering. Richard, we were talking about it a little bit ago. It um, wow. It's cool. We did not see this coming. So no, thank you no. to everybody for listening and thank watching you very us. Much. Yes. And just a reminder, what would also help us out is if you could toss us a kind review, if you have it in you on Apple podcasts or Spotify or YouTube uh follow us on any of those platforms. It helps us. Um and it introduces you to us as well. Um we meet a lot of our guests that way. So yeah. Um thank you for being here.
1: <laughs> I did like the comment. Uh we had one comment on one of the videos.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What did it? Is? It was just simple. Uh it's it's football, not soccer, lads.
0: I was gonna kind of- <laughs> it's so funny you mentioned that. I was going to read that. Oh, sorry. No, no, I'm glad you did um, because we want to start mentioning some of the feedback that we get. And I I was going to select that one because it's just hilarious. It's like, hey, guys, it's not soccer. It's football. And in that segment <laughs> where we discuss Messi possibly going to Saudi Arabia, we did say soccer, which is just what we call it here. So. it's so funny you know we missed a trick on that that episode because we didn't think there's
1: what about this possibility this angle we talked about the various angles and and you know one was saudi somewhere probably Ahalau. al uh inter miami fc you know and going back to barca possibly but we did not talk about the possibility of going to newcastle united that would be cool why isn't that a thing that could be a thing i think it would be a thing I think it it makes sense. It'd make him happy. He'd still be in the Premier League. You know, he'd be, you know, he'd be quote unquote. uh, Anyway, it's interesting. This is all very interesting and as yet unresolved.
0: Richard, just as you were saying that, you found a really awesome piece earlier this week. I think it was in espn.com, but some dude was breaking down like why Messi is still one of the greatest, even though he's getting a little bit older. Used a ton of data on how he is as a striker and um, just. Everything up, did I, I lose my volume there? Okay, yeah, ready. a little bit. Okay, we're already we're having, having technical issues. You were getting, issues. Issues. We you were getting even It <laughs> Worked up. I was excited about Messi, what can I say? <laughs> um, I do have a very precarious situation here with things balancing on other things, so I'll try not to get too animated. But anyway, interesting article. I'll put it in the show notes, but it's a little bit about long form on how good Messi still is. That's the point
1: i thought that was interesting because but you know the popular press would have it that he had an off second half with psg and but when you that was really interesting when you dig into the analytics he's still premier
0: yeah yeah i mean the world cup was we talked about that but just wow so anyway um richard let's get going what's your one big thing this week
1: Uh my one big thing um as we know uh syria's arab league membership was revoked in 2011 uh after bashar al-assad ordered a violent crackdown on protest protesters that, that spiraled the country into a war that since killed nearly half a million people and displaced another 23 million. is a complete disaster in, in Syria. Uh, this past Sunday, after an absence that lasted more than a decade, the Arab League voted unanimously to readmit Syria. This was done during an emergency session in Cairo. Uh, and in a bit of an understatement, the Secretary General of the Arab League said quote i strongly expect that many european and western countries may not welcome this arab decision but this is an independent arab decision which sees that the arab interest requires at this particular time not to leave the syrian issue like this unquote and sort of to confirm that point the u.s uh, state department spokesperson said quote we do not believe that syria merits readmission to the arab league at this time and it's a point that we've made clear with all our partners unquote so um ex, you know, momentous news really. Uh, and what to make of all this. And you know, we've had a lot of we had a lot of commentary in the in the Sustig Review, which we always cover, good analysis and and good reporting. Um, I happen to see, and I don't know if I passed this on to you, Lucian. I happen to see a, a really interesting Twitter thread um from Butter L Safe. And Butter L Safe is a um a uh associate professor at Kuwait University. He also has his own consulting firm. He's a Kuwaiti. Although it's interesting that Kuwaiti was talking about, he was talking about specifically about the KSA perspective on readmission of Saudi Arabia and reopening of diplomatic relations. So I'm just going to read his Twitter feed. I know that sounds weird, but I think it's important to hear a voice from the region as to why this is going on right now. Yeah, go for it so obviously the thread is you know a series of threads so i'll start at one so so i'll just read it ksa just resumed relations with syria it's more important than the actual arab league admission uh both ksa and saudi arabia i mean saudi arabia and syria hope to benefit from this move but the syrian regime shouldn't hold a party its record is no secret and the saudis look to advance their interest how so Saudi Arabia is once skeptical about normalization with Damascus, but it wants to work towards a more robust, integrated Arab order, plus more urgently com- combat a tripartite ticking bomb. So that tripartite ticking, bo- ticking bomb is drugs, terrorism, and the refugees are three pillars of a ticking time bomb for the Levant, Gulf, and larger MENA, Middle East, North Africa region. No serious action can be taken on any of these files without somehow dealing with the Syrian regime. All three files have come to a standstill or face challenges. Captagon, which as listeners and viewers know, we did a a segment on last, last episode, Captagon is infesting the Gulf, neighboring cities are struggling with refugees, and thousands of Islamic State prisoners remain in camps with no effective rehab plans. The Gulf is bulldozing into the future. These issues need to be resolved for its vision plans to work. The US has no forward-looking policy on Syria. You have you, US, has sanctions there, Caesar act there, and then what? Question mark. You can't leave people hostage to a stagnant position. If Syria was next door to the US, would it act this way? Question mark. Everyone knows where they're dealing with a bloody, bloody regime, and it won't change overnight. Twelve years of civil war have shown that. Um, Syria controlling the drug problem, holding off punishment against returning refugees, is something to be skeptical about. Still, got to try and find creative means. Even with the Iran-Saudi deal, we are not on a different planet. This is a Middle East. There are there are few there are a few sustainable success stories to count, and more issues to resolve. And in, and. In, um, yeah in parentheses he adds think sudan as the latest example um closing up the point of view saying assad shouldn't be approached is noted but what's the alternative the status quo is unsustainable let's see what gains may come from this mass regional turnaround and he closes with hope dignity justice peace and prosperity are part of these gains and then in parentheses again wishful i know close parentheses um I have some other thoughts on this but i'll stop here because i want to get your observations um again we read a lot of analyses on this Uh, i thought this sort of captured why it was thought it was necessary to move forward and break the logjam because nothing was working and they had real issues that weren't being addressed and this is again a point of view from the region but anyway so that's my one big thing this week
0: well I just have two very quick observations, Richard, and then I kind of want, um, and thank you for <laughs> handing the, the talking stick over to me, but I want to give it back to you because I want to hear um, more on your observations, but just two things really quickly. One, I mean, that is such a good point about engagement being a way to solve some of these problems because they're all getting worse and they're all heading in one direction, and if you don't change something up, then you can't expect a different outcome, and I think Saudi Arabia may be saying that, "Hey, like, let's engage with them and see if we can figure out how to tighten up some of this drug drug trade, which is flooding the Gulf region. We're the we're the customers, and you know, we talked about this. Um, I think it was last week, Richard, in the Captagon Captagon, Captagon, C- Captagon yeah. Captagon, said, yeah. Said, um, yeah, and then uh, you know, just that's my other other point. I would really want to make is that please, if you missed it. You can just listen to that segment but we talked about captagon it was richard's one big thing last week and it's really a good sort of overview discussing the complexity of the problem in the region Um, and richard did a really great job kind of you know distilling that all together into one understandable point which is essentially that syria is a narco state now and the only way to get them to not be a narco state is to try to uh, curb your own demand but also um, you know, work with them to and and Richard. Okay. They did have a recent attack, uh, killing I think uh, one of the drug lords in Syria this week. Was Jordanians
1: sort of so. Jordanians did a strike, and they just had another eight uh, eight million dollars uh, you know tablets uh, intercepted in Saudi. And it's interesting the um, part of the part of the reproche, part of the discussion I gather as reported. It could be wrong. You know, is that the Saudis are talking to the Assad regime about saying we'll give you four billion dollars if you shut this down? Hmm. I mean, this is how important it is to the region. But it, it, it. Um, so again, that's, that's that's possibly that's you know sheer speculation. I don't know, uh, but it does speak to the fact that what something we talked about during that segment, and it was a good point, uh, was that you know if if it's a criminal enterprise that's you know has tremendous revenues, why would they stop? And you got to give them a, you know some other reasons. but <clears throat> the reason I turned it over to you, Lucian, is because I have a lot to say on it and I'm not sure if we have the time.
0: I think we should go for it, Richard. We do have a bit of a hard stop, but I'd like for you to keep going. I'm I'm gonna shut up now. <laughs> you sure? please please go yeah yes, absolutely absolutely. <laughs> I just thought it was telling if Syria was next door to
1: the. US, would it act this way and and and, and this is what the what butter the, the, what what he said in his thread. And we talk a lot about on the show about having to come up with some a new approach, revamp our our uh, paradigms and our perspectives on the region and what it needs and what advances our interest there. And it, it seems to me, I mean, U.S. foreign policy in the region uh, has really been dominated by a post-9/11 paradigm, and and which was actuated sort of by the global war on, war on terrorism. And you can go go through it did actually you know quash Al Qaeda. And we had allies in this globally. You know, you remember Saudi Arabia was a primary target of of al-Qaeda and suffered all sorts of violent uh, attacks in 03, 04, 05, even in 06. I mean, just really some virulent and, and dangerous stuff, but they were able to shut down. So obviously Saudi Arabia and, and the U.S. is in league on this. So that makes sense, you know. But, but you know, that al-Qaeda counterterrorism approach led to a misguided disaster in Iraq. Uh, which created ISIS, which requ- required massive military mobilization, you know resulted in terrible suffering, the empowerment of Iran in the region. Um, the 911 paradigm also, again, I, I couldn't disagree more with you have to go in you know at the time Afghanistan is a broken state parasitized by by terrorist organizations, you have to go in and take them out. So we did that but also stayed for 20 years. In a monstrously, expen- monstrously expensive, ultimately unsuccessful, you know, twenty-year nation-building exercise. Again, people watched us do this. Um, the motivation, counterterrorism, understood the results extraordinarily unfortunate and damaging to many people in the region and destabilizing to the region. You know, efforts to counter Iran's nuclear program led to the JCPO. Yes, a, a, a JCPO, a, another worthwhile. Uh, endeavor. But, you know, probably executed poorly, implemented poorly, in that we didn't talk to our Arab neighbors and our Arab uh, partners on this before we did it. And then, of course, it was just completely upended uh, when, you know, President Trump, you know, discarded it, left it, and, you know, opted for maximum pressure, all of which, which has been an abject failure in terms of reigning in Iran's nuclear program. So the point being is, American motivations over the last 20 years, countering terrorism, countering nuclear Iran, they have validity. The implementation of these policies have sort of left the region fractured, destabilized, at odds. Um, And it's a region looking for new ideas. And they're not coming from us. Uh, and this is why, you know, we talk about you know the, the rise of regional solutions and the and the outgrow outburst of diplomacy in the region. We talk, in, you know, particularly about Mohammed bin Salman, but others are acted the same way because that counter approach, that confrontation approach, um, led in many ways has just locked up the region into uh, seemingly um, unsolvable um, positions and and things that are just stuck in the mud you know, to put it politely, when you are thinking, you know, when you think of the consequences of that in terms of human suffering. Um, so I just thought it was interesting. And, and his point is, is, you know, if this were next door to us, would we let it sit for 20 years? Would we sort of be, you know, and, and especially at this juncture? And the problem with Syria, of course, is, is Iran and, and Russia intervened in 2015 and tilted the tables to Assad. And our point, our options at that point, short of going to war, were to try and and you know uh, you know work with establish an outpost in northern syria and do what we've done but again it's a static situation it's not moving it's not going anywhere well everything else is going to hell um so you can see why they're looking for new ideas in the region i'd like for us the us to be creative and move forward i mean there is some optimism for the abraham accords it's a worthwhile platform. It's something we should we should support. You know, we're pursuing, we've established the I2 YouTube platform. You're familiar with that. Israel and India, UAE, U.S. talking about economic. And there's a lot of economic. It's really economic motivations and underpinnings here, which is really important. Last week, U.S., Saudi, Emirati, and Indian national security advisors were in Riyadh Discussing a possible major joint infrastructure project to connect the Gulf and Arab countries via a network of railroads and, and shipping lanes. Good. More of this, more of this. Um, we need new thinking. We need to change the plan. You know, we have to think new economies and trade and technology and striving countries, tired of conflict. So, so, you know, you know, the State Department can be upset, you know, that that uh, you know. Syria is invited back to the arab league but honestly from their point of view as as um as this you know this you know kuwaiti professor and you know has written um it's not working for us let's Mm -hmm. try something new we have real problems we have to address let's try something new
0: yeah richard that's really really good um It's also not just that we are stagnant on ideas from the U.S. and kind of stagnant on leadership. It's that we are we need to and hopefully we are already taking an approach where we are supportive of ideas that may not be exactly what we would want to see as the American foreign policy power that we are. And I think you saw a little taste of it in this statement from, I think it was Jake Sullivan and you mentioned it, where he said, yeah, this isn't really what we want or what the U.S. would endorse. But this is not our call. This is the Arab League's call. And we support what they're doing. We support their impetus and their initiative here, if that's what they want to do. And I I want to see personally more of that, where we're supporting Saudi Arabia and our allies in the region acting in their interests because that supports our interest as allies. And so there's not just a little brother, big brother, you know, oil for arms type thing going on anymore. And I think that's, I think that's a good direction to be heading in. And I, I just, those are really good, one big thing. Um, well, just really good. A shout out to Butter El-Saif.
1: He's the young Kuwaitian. Like I said, he's the president of El-Saif Consulting, an assistant professor at Kuwait University. And he doesn't know, you know, I'm using his, his, tweets, but um, to your point, uh, you know, that uh, Saudi and Iran agreement that was closed anyway by China, you know, it was brokered sort of by Iraq and Oman, but closed by China, you know, the U.S. was smart there to just say, yeah, great, good for the region, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: well, And you mentioned that, I mean, you gave a really good sort of historical, like the last 23 years, pretty much 22 years, really since 9-11 what what i think what we would dream about during that phase when we were involved in all these conflicts is is getting out of them and having the region and other regions around the world solve their own problems so that we're not always the first one in there doing some offensive military situation where we're just absolutely not welcome to do that like you mentioned afghanistan was different than iraq iraq was a massive mistake that caused so many problems and that's like I feel like we should be happier that we're in this moment where we have an emerging regional power in Saudi Arabia and you have sort of a multipolar regional multipolar system of leaders trying to solve problems that don't involve us going in there and banging our fists on the table and saying, this is how we, how it's going to be. We're America. So do it.
1: And yeah, I I think it's a good point. And, And I'd like to be associated with some positive wins. And by that, I mean, Iraq was a debacle. Afghanistan was unfortunate. Um, you know, we came in on the side on Arab uh, Arab Spring, you know, with with democracies for the most part. I mean, it's certainly in Egypt, you know, that that was a disappointment for all. Uh, you don't have any of those that are, are, you know, remaining those countries that that were active at that point are democracies. Tunisia being the, you know, the the example that was the, supposed to make it, but is not. Um, you know, w- yet we are associated with with all these failed destabilizing endeavors and of course massively expensive mm-hmm. let's change our paradigm let's change our framework our point of view and let's move forward consistent with what the region would like to see and we certainly can be constructive if we want to be and that's why i like i like these discussions about you know a rail connection um and let's you know i would at the moment so much of it is Abraham, of course, but at the moment, a lot of it is sort of Israel centric. You know, let's see if we can get Israel normalized and this sort of thing. I'd like for it just to be. Let's talk about U.S. national interests and how they are served by a resurgent, responsible, uh, regionally active uh you know, players such as Saudi Arabia and others that are resolving their old problems first and and turning to us for things like if they need security, great, but also for technology and trade and commerce and investment.
0: Just, I completely agree. And (laughs) sorry, I well said, (laughs) no, I'm just, I'm going to make this point in the next segment, but it's a really nice tie into this one. And that is part of the reason why our implementation sucks often in the region is because we have a very you know, like they say, democracy is the worst system of all of them, except for all the other ones. And it's like, you know, democracy, every four years, we may have a new president. So you are every four years are operating under a certain level of uncertainty. Well, like maybe the Iran deal will be rolled back, you know, maybe somebody will do something and they'll roll it back. And it's hard to predict in the region. Whereas when you have leaders that are there to stay, like Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, I mean, he when he says something, he's going to do it. It's a point that I'm going to make in a little bit. But it's like, you you have a consistency you have something to, to depend on and and i think that's part of the reason why our i mean all of our little misad, not little large misadventures in the region have just been kind of poorly planned and thought out we're sort of winging it because we don't know who's going to be making the decision in a few years so you anyway, know it's interesting that's a great point i mean there's a whipsaw effect you know a whiplash effect when when you go from bush to
1: to obama to uh trump uh, you know, so yeah. I mean, certainly there's a, you know, any any habit of trust or confidence uh is uh, eliminated when you just, you know, the empirical facts dictate, you know, indicate otherwise.
0: Yeah. Richard, this was a really good one on Syria. And it's something we've we've actually talked about. We talked about last week and it's going to be one of the interesting stories going into the summer here. Like what's next? What's going to happen? Is there going to be a sort of payout like you mentioned of Hey, we're going to give Assad, we're going to give you a bunch of money, but you got to get this Captagon out of the market, like as soon as possible. There's going to be a lot on this topic. So it's going to be cool to stay on top of. And we formally invite, of course, Richard, the, um, is it, uh, Badr El Saif? Badr El Saif. Badr El Saif. Yes. Please join us Uh, your thread has made you worthy (laughs) of being a guest to discuss some of this stuff. Um, I think that would be cool he's almost certainly listening, right? Richard. So (laughs) isn't (laughs) everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Richard. Very good. A good one. My one big thing this week is (laughs) Neom also actually kind of in that, uh, kind of Northern Saudi region. Um, and there's actually Neom is something we've talked about or have at least mentioned in every single episode we've done of the nine, six, six, uh, 86 episode. I'm, I'm pretty sure the word Neom is in every single one of them. Um, And sometimes we just kind of mention it in in passing. You know, sometimes we talk about it in detail, but this week there was kind of a lot of news on Neom and I sort of wanted to, you know, you sent me today, Richard, uh, this morning, uh, an announcement, which I'll get to in one second about a, a media partnership that Neom made. And it sort of made me think, okay, we're actually pretty far along in Neom's announcement. I mean. Neom was announced, let's let's just calibrate everything with a little key context here. Neom was announced on October 24th, 2017. And at the time, it sort of turned heads, even for a country known for big announcements and huge ambitious plans. This was like the granddaddy of them all. And people were like, whoa, okay, $500 billion uh, located in a pretty remote region of the world, a remote region of Saudi Arabia in the Northwest. uh, We're starting this Saudi Arabia says Neon from scratch. We're just going to build it. It's going to cost a lot of money. And it was widely covered when it was announced. I mean, there are all these mega projects and giga projects being announced in Saudi Arabia. This one was widely covered because it sort of was the most ambitious. Some would say ridiculous. I mean, it was a big announcement. And so I think that you just kind of reflecting on that. It doesn't seem like it was announced that long ago, but it was now seven years, almost six years. So when you, Talk about Saudi Arabia, Richard. With other Americans who don't pay attention at all, even to the region, let alone Saudi Arabia. Niam actually is one of the questions. At least I get asked quite a bit, anecdotally. But you know, they're saying, "Hey, uh, oh yeah, Saudi Arabia. What's up with this mirrored city that's 100 miles long and uh, is going to be green? What's going on? Is that you know, is that going to happen?" And that's usually the follow-up question: Is this? Are they going to do it? Is this happening? Um, And then, you know, Richard, I would say that when it was first announced, you and I sort of looked at this and I I don't want to speak for you, but we sort of were like, you know, this is really expensive and this is cool, but maybe what they get out of this is something short of what they actually plan. And that's okay. I mean, it's really good to plan big and see where that takes you, because a lot of times that drags you forward. Um, I think I probably would have started off saying probably, but just a little bit of it, or maybe you know, 10 miles instead of a hundred. We still don't know. But the timeline for the implementation here was 2030, 2040, 2050. Massive city of the future from scratch, remote part of the world. It's just not something you snap your fingers and do. Rome was not built in a day. That goes for Neon as well, especially you know, even if you have this budget, you're still not gonna do it. So Neon was announced, big announcement. You still had uh, and then you sort of had like, okay, this is the plan. What's next? And then you had this trickle out of details. And these details are not small details, they're large details like a new airport, the line, which is you know, 109 miles, mirrored city. You had Oxagon and Trogena. I think Richard, I, the rig is sort of part of Neom. I'm not sure, it's in the Red Sea. I'm sure we're gonna get a bunch of comments on this, but this isn't it kind of near Neom, the rig um, theme park? The rig. Yeah,
1: is that the thing that was, uh, re- refurbished, re- re- out, uh, the refurbished, rethought out luxury thing, yeah, or the entertainment like, thing on a rig?
0: Yeah, the like steampunked I, thing. I couldn't I find a location.
1: I, I don't. Well, it seems like if it were offshore, it'd be in the Gulf. But, yeah.
0: Um, well, maybe that's know, right. Yeah. But but I, I don't know
1: exactly where it is.
0: Well, so anyway, so you had these announcements coming out, and we and we again we talk about this a lot on the show, but we these announcements were not just hey we're going to build this uh you know octagon shaped floating city they were doing this with really well produced hollywood quality beautiful videos with detailed renderings they were sort of like hype videos and they almost raised the stakes of what's going to happen they said no this is going to look like this and it's going to be amazing it's going to be all green even down to the specific details so over the last few years, Richard, we're getting this information about Neom, but you can't really see it. It's not like there's a like surf cam outside of the Neom area where you can look at it and you're like, oh, they're building that thing. Uh, yep, it's coming along. Yeah. It's like it's such a remote part of the world and no one can really go there, or at least tourists can't go there. So nobody's really seeing or, or checking in on what's happening. But as time goes on, Richard, we were sort of you sent me today, and I'll get again, I'll mention this in a minute, but Neon partnered with um, Getty Images and another sort of startup website called Unsplash, uh, a visual content creator and marketplace site to create and distribute an extensive visual library showcasing Neom. So we're starting to see Neom a lot more. We're starting to see it in you know, the beauty of it. We're starting to see things that are under construction. We're also starting to see some of the areas around it that will be untouched and remained untouched. But yeah, I mean, I'm sort of going all over the place with this thing, Richard, but when it really hit me, that Neom is not just going to happen. It's it, it, When it went from if to when, was actually when I met um, Jake Mum in Riyadh, and right before he joined us on the podcast, and he talked about this on the show a little bit, he was essentially saying like, oh, no, no, Neon and the line, it's not it's just gonna happen, it's already happening. We are building it now. The spine and Neon, we're, we're up there right now building it. And it sort of hit me like, whoa, what, you're right, this has been a few years now, like we should start seeing some results. So you start seeing more social media posts, workers skiing briefly in Trojina, people taking boats up to Neom. So we're starting to see it take shape. And that's sort of where I now begin my one big thing. Sorry, again, I'm also (laughs) long-winded today. Again, I'm sorry. But uh, yeah, this week, we sort of learned that for sure, Neom is going to open to tourists in 2024. So we had that announcement with the partnership with Getty Images and Unsplash. We also had comments from um, and Tony Vives, who is chief urban planning officer at Neom. And he talked about Sindla Island, which is one of those islands that will be open first right off of Neom. That will be really nice ultra luxe. So, uh, Richard, we'll have to do our annual offsite there with a um, golf course. Yes, with a golf course. And by saying that you've mentioned golf, including it in, in the episode and keeping the street going. Um, but he talked about, Hey, this is, this is happening. First physical showcase of Neom it's opening in 2024. Um, and so we've kind of got a lot of new art on Neom this week. We had, uh, this piece, which was in Al Arabia. So we could see some new renderings of Sindalah Island, which again, looks really, really, really cool. Uh, we have this launch of the website from Neom, uh, sort of a partnership with Getty and Unsplash. And, uh, we also had the announcement, Richard, that we will be getting, uh, Neom will have a lot of hotels, um, we're talking about i saw that number here somewhere i think i have it here um the actual yeah through the so you've got you've got
1: Cindela, you've got oxygon you've got Trogena, and you've got the line as the four major
0: anchors is this uh, so hotels throughout all these hotels throughout all of these there was an announcement i thought i had it in my note, notes here but anyway yeah. so there was an announcement this week that there will be something like I don't want to get the number wrong because it will live up there forever, but there was a, an announcement of plan for hotels and it was, it was a, some massive number. You're so, honest. yeah. So again, not my best one big thing here, but it's just sort of like, it kind of hit me that this is really going to happen and that it is happening. And as soon as next year, you're going to be able to go to Neom. You're going to be able to visit Sindala Island and you'll be able to see it. I mean, you will be able to see it being under construction, the main city, but you will be able to go to Sindala Island and kind of start experiencing what it's going to be like there. So yeah. neon's that's happening fine. that's my one big thing <laughs> well
1: it's <laughs> i mean a couple of things on that no, number one you know you know on that announcement back you said in 2017 right of neon yeah, yeah. should have been taken with a healthy dose of skepticism and i think uh you know skepticism continues to prevail but I, you know you do it, it's interesting because these pictures and and for those of you who listen to us via podcast thank you very much if you happen to look at um the uh the youtube version of it i'm sure you're going to include a lot of those pictures lucian because they were made free to made public they're stunning they're stunning know. yet and in the water the land the topography the geology uh you know all the, the nature it's all and all, all really remarkable and and you can see why you'd, you know, you can see how it'd be a a great um uh, environment to try and do something like this um <clears throat> I also pair it in my own mind because they came out, and, and, and I guess this, this speaks to me, in January this year, they came out with some footage about the construction, so actually the line and the oxygen, and that's what I was really interested in, seeing how much dirt's been moved and what's gone up and that sort of thing, because it's just so enormous. Uh, but two thoughts. One is, you mentioned 2017 on NEOM. What's even more remarkable is the line was announced January 2021. I mean, just over two years ago. Yeah. And so it, and and I and I, my guess is that it wasn't even part of the thinking. And when Neon was, you know, they thought they'd come out and they do a futuristic city or something that was green and and sustainable and so on, but that the line configuration and the I think it's uh, uh, vertical gravity or so whoever whoever zero some some there's a, some design school that's informing the de- the you know architecture and the design of the line. You know, I don't think that was even in their thinking in 2017. Maybe it was, but it nonetheless, it wasn't announced till 2021. So the line is moving along at an especially quick pace, too, when you think this just over two years for this enormous, you know, breathtaking project. The other thing is, is Sindala is like, a you know, Sindelah is, is just made a, you know, a dash up the back, uh, the back straight. Do you know what I mean? it wasn't even in the picture and now it's going to be the first one out the gate next year.
0: Yeah. Uh, With the four seasons. I mean that all that, you're right. All that happened so quickly.
1: Yeah. It was like, well, Cinderella, something's going to happen. And I think that that was announced in the the last two years, at least. And now all of a sudden it's coming together. So it's interesting how that one has come out, you know, again, come wide on the turn and is, is leading the pack right now in terms of getting, uh, you know, actually being executed and, and, and uh, available for the
0: public. Mm-hmm. That takes a little pressure off of Neom too. They can say, look, you're going to visit, this is part of Neom. So you can come here and this is going to be finished. And then you'll be able to see that we're making progress. I just wanted to add Richard, the um, figure that I saw was 150 hotels in the line. That's what they're shooting for. Wow. But when that's, it's all done. That, when it's all done. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of hotels. That's a lot of hotels. I
1: hope that, and, and presumably they won't all be Lux, you know, cause it, you know, they, they, they have to c- cover all the ranges. Um, But, you know, this also speaks to when you look at when you get down and look at stuff like this. And it it makes perfect sense why Saudi Arabia has cut the OPEC with Saudi urging and support has cut production uh, twice over the last four or five months uh, in an effort to keep oil prices up. Um, They can't afford a downturn. They've got tremendous commitments on the book. They've uh, you know, as you say, these are lavishly promoted um, and it's it's a significant part of their uh, their new identity, you know, vision 2030, these mega projects, Skika projects, dynamic uh, diplomatic role in the region. this is this is part of how they view themselves and how they want to change their world. And, and in order to do that, they need to have a steady and continued sufficient flow of revenue. And that means oil right now you know, until the indeterminate future. So it's, it's, you know, again, when you look at these, the scale of these projects and the, and the amount of spending that is required to maintain them and the excitement they engender in the Saudi population, which they want to sustain,
0: um, they've got to keep oil prices up if they can. If they can, but they're also hedging that bet by investing in renewables and green hydrogen, which we'll talk right. about in a little and, bit and all this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: And their non-oil economy is coming up and they're, you know, they're not all revenues in terms of the budget are coming up. They're making progress, but you know, they're not going to be, they, they, they have to, they have to play this string out for as long as possible in order to make the transition.
0: Yep. Well said Richard, what do you think? Let's, as, as we were bumping up against a uh, yes, a yes. hard stock, those, we those, those were I good. Yeah. you
1: and i will enjoy these one big things i'm not sure anybody else will
0: <laughs> well i know that our impressive large listener base will otherwise we will hear from them and say hey you guys were a little <laughs> yes. off today no but um yeah that was that was really good two very different topics there and yeah we'll jump right into yellow this week richard nice yellow saudi in a saudi in a minute, minute. yellow <laughs> we're <laughs> yeah we're we're having fun everybody so have, thanks for being with us i didn't have my i didn't <laughs> have
1: my yellow voice my saudi in a minute voice all right yellow number one uh saudi ambassador to washington princess rima bint bandar visited a, visited a boeing facility in charleston south carolina to celebrate saudi arabia's 37 billion dollar deal struck in march to purchase boeing 787s Quote, this historic investment will create around 100,000 direct and indirect jobs in the U.S. across several states, including hundreds of suppliers and many small businesses, unquote. According to Princess Rima, this is the fifth largest commercial aircraft deal by value in Boeing's history.
0: Yeah, there's an image of this. Sorry. Sorry. Don't move. Don't move. You're like, it's very sensitive. Shoot. Yeah, so there's a little cord here. If I move at all, I think I need a new cord anyway sorry everybody um there is a photo of this we're gonna include it um in the video version of this podcast and in this segment but princess rima was there um and it was in it looks like south carolina like you mentioned richard but um you have lindsey Graham there and the the photo is like i can't even see how many people are in this photo but it looks like a thousand people all celebrating this so cool it's a cool photo um the credit is goes to saudia so we'll have it here but um yeah. It's, this is one of the things, Richard, like you'll have a strong U S Saudi relationship if you have deals like this. And then if you have smaller deals that fill in the gaps between these once in a generation mega purchases that, you know, are really cool. But this, you know, as we said, thank, thank goodness. This isn't, good, this isn't go to uh, Airbus because, uh, you know, <laughs> <in the> test. <laughs>
1: yeah. well, it's the kind of thing we like. I mean, it's also, it's also, I mean, when you, so, as she says, you know uh, we're proud to partner with American companies to shape a more prosperous secure future for Saudi Arabia in the Middle East. Who knows to Boeing? I mean the 787 was introduced in 2009 and it was a bet on a particular kind of aircraft and it's been a successful bet. I mean the Dreamliner saw, made over sold over 1,600 uh, airline air, aircraft. it's it's continuing to going strong it's it's really been a great U.S corporate success in a critical segment so it's nice for boeing and and obviously we like to see this because it's a commercial uh it's a commercial expansion of the relationship which again is something we think it's very important and we want to see more of and of course you know we're all big fans of princess rima so yeah this was de- this definitely. was a
0: this was a winner of a yellow this was a winner of a yellow. we should have saved this for last so we got a very high note but um <laughs> yeah i mean the other the other winner will be Riyadh when this airline launches and we have some competition with Saudia for direct flights. Richard, I'm flying direct there in a few weeks, which I'm stoked about Uh, on Saudia. um, On Saudia, So thank goodness. Cause that actually saves almost a whole day of your life versus transferring pretty much anywhere else. So it's
1: it's awesome, but it's usually super expensive.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's great. I am
1: envious. Yeah. Last time I was there, I had to trans, I I had like a six hour layover in Heathrow.
0: Yeah. I've done that exact flight and I was thinking about that one, but, um, yeah, the time saving is like a whole day, and he yeah. nice. And that British Air flight is nice, yeah. but uh, you know, but so Saudi will have a competitor, not a competitor, but a, you know, there'll be two options, and you will be flying into a really sweet, brand new airport of the future in Riyadh, which will take some time to build as well, but mm-hmm. um, pretty cool. Yeah, good, good, good here, good story for the U.S. Saudi relationship.
1: Your your kids will be in high school probably by then.
0: Yeah, maybe if, if you think about it. I mean, inshallah, yeah. inshallah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't want my children to go to school <laughs> they'll be crime fighters they don't need an education <laughs> um richard Yella number two i hope we have the same sheet of yellas here um the saudi tourism authority says lgbt plus we, visitors we don't but we'll, let's go with it do you, okay we can should we just we, no, That's okay. Sorry. No, it's, I, we should have coordinated this beforehand. We, we were so the way it works, everybody. Since you get to see under the kimono here, is that <laughs> we have uh, we probably have 150 stories at least that go into the our newsletters over the week. It's got to be more than that. Maybe yeah. 300 actually. Yeah. Uh, that's 30, like 30, 30 a, yeah. a day. Yes. Thirty a day. So 150 is about right-ish. Yeah. So we have a lot to choose from when we choose these topics, and so we kind of just. Without really discussing it, use ESP and realize like what we've discussed recently and what topics are maybe more worthy of discussion versus the you know top end stuff that everybody sees. So uh, when we well, put this together, it takes a little bit of jockeying, and that's sometimes we end up on the wrong page, though.
1: Yeah, and we do swap suggestions, and we and we usually come up with a with a final cue. But um, we just, didn't. This, was, we just <laughs> yeah. had a, this had a late poaching from because yes. that's what happens. Some of the yellows get graduated up to uh, one big thing.
0: Yes. And I should mention uh, before I read this, that this story cropped up last week and I sort of thought, and I'm sure you thought the same thing, Richard. I was like, Oh uh, yeah, well it's interesting. We'll see about this because it was sort of like a, it wasn't widely reported. So, and we sort of like, yeah, interesting. Um, but this was in yahoo.com. So according to yahoo.com, the Saudi tourism authority says LGBT plus visitors are welcome in Saudi Arabia in the FAQ section of the STA's website. Somebody inquired whether or not the LGBT plus visitors were welcome in Saudi Arabia. The response was quote, "Everyone is welcome to visit Saudi Arabia, and visitors are not asked to disclose such personal details
1: i I don't ask don't tell um." Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, Skift, which covers global travel, estimates that the the LGBTQ travel market is worth about two hundred eighteen billion dollars worth of worldwide, and they tend to spend more of their budget, you know, home budget on on travel. Ten percent of its purchasing power, or nearly hundred billion, on travel in the U.S. alone. So it's a it's a traveling uh, demographic and um you know saudi arabia as we know is making a big bet on tourism it doesn't want to exclude anybody so it you know it it's like uh, so it, it wants people to feel comfortable coming and i think it's you know obviously that's gonna that's for the community to decide um i i i couldn't you know i'm sure saudi arabia wants them to come i'm sure saudi arabia doesn't want them to be you know you know, very demonstrative in their lifestyle. Um, but again, don't ask, don't tell. I I mean, people have to remember, and and again, I, I personally, if, if I were, you know, if I were, uh, gay, I would go, I would understand that I, I, I wouldn't be out there while I was there. But also I think you have to understand that for the longest time in Saudi Arabia, you don't have to understand anything, but as a suggestion, um, you know the royal family, and this let's go back pre uh, muhammad bin Salman, pre King Salman, but also King Salman. The royal family has would would historically be seen as a little more progressive than society. I mean things like women's education and other things. The royal family was pushing the envelope, um, and this in many ways is still the case. The Saudi Saudi population is conservative. It is not comfortable with alternative lifestyles. It's very excited about tourism. It's very excited to show off its country. And, and in this article, which was a good article, you know, someone uh, in the LGBTQ community went there and said, you know, I couldn't be out like I normally am, but you know, I was really struck by how friendly everybody was. So you and I both know this. Anybody who goes to Saudi Arabia knows this. So they want the tourism uh, experience and and, and uh, experiment to work. They want to welcome people but you know you can't go there and and you know be flamboyantly LGBTQ and expect not to have some pushback and uh, and again if I were to I, I wouldn't speculate but all that to say is I mean let's put some context here yes they would love you yes it's don't ask don't tell but understand that the country by the way as with almost everybody in the region everybody in Africa not everybody, but most, most, most countries and most populations, they are much more conservative than the US, much more conservative than Europe, and especially on alternative lifestyle issues. So I don't know if that adds to the discussion, but I just think it's important to point out.
0: No, I, I think that absolutely does. I was just sort of thinking as you were you were speaking there, Richard, I mean, this doesn't mean any laws are changing. This wasn't like an official change in local laws on how this works. This just kind of removes some confusion as to like, if you're a person of this orientation, can I go to Saudi Arabia? Like, am I allowed to go? Will they arrest me at the airport yeah. when I arrive? And the answer is no, but that also is this, this statement on the tourism authority website is not a changing of laws regarding this and i think um i mean it's, it's a delicate subject obviously but we all have personal opinions about this um and in my opinion i i really don't care what anyone's orientation is i i, I to the point where i also don't really want to know i don't care like it's their decision and you know, the reality is I also believe in self-determination. I believe that if a vast majority of people in a country want things a certain way, just like in our country, that they should be the ones to determine that. And I think in Saudi Arabia, like you just said, it is a very traditional society, very conservative. They don't want this, I don't think. I don't know, but I, I want them to have what they want. I don't want to impose anything on them, and and we shouldn't. And so, uh, well, you, you, know, you know, you saw it in Doha in the World Cup say, move away from
1: Saudi Arabia. And there was a lot of people there who were, uh, you know, had the rainbow flag and, and, and the authorities said, you're welcome. A lot of people, a lot of locals were not happy.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Just, you know, they're not, you know, they're, it's a conservative society, just like in the U S it takes a long time to turn that ship if it's going to turn. And uh, so, so again, if I were gay, I would go to Saudi Arabia and feel perfectly comfortable. I I think I would also be smart about it. And by the way, you know, when, you know, when my mom lived in Saudi Arabia, um, you know, she, she loved it. It was great, but she also didn't go out in a bikini. She wanted to buy it. She dressed conservatively because that was the sensitive and respectful thing to do. Um, you know, so you have to, you know, understand your environment, you know, have some court awareness, uh, but absolutely if you're in the LGBTQ community go see some of the amazing stuff in Saudi Arabia be smart you'll be just fine
0: yeah and also I mean I'm sure many LGBT people have already visited Saudi Arabia oh, without incident because they just knew how to they knew how to behave they knew what to do to follow local laws I mean that the State Department always says that you know hey just follow the local rules and you know you should be good pretty much wherever you go um, and uh yeah I mean, this is but this is not laws changing this is just hey like you know everybody's welcome to come but respect our local laws which you know do not oh, allow and for by this. the
1: way and actually we should go to the end of that quote so i think it um i thought i had it here uh an sta spokesperson said in a statement this and i guess we should have just gone to this i apologize all everyone listening because we just we just covered this in a long-winded way the sta spokesman said to save a statement, quote Everyone is welcome to visit Saudi, provided that they follow and respect our culture, traditions, and laws. As you would when you visit any other country in the world. Like other governments, we do not ask visitors personal questions and we respect the right to privacy uncode. There it is.
0: There it is. Yep. yep. Um I mean, in, in the US too, Richard, this isn't like a resolved situation. I mean, we we are more advanced without question, but there's, you know, there's still People refusing to drink Bud Light because it was associated with an LGBTQ person, transgender, yeah, it, or whatever, yeah, and it's like, okay, yeah. so we still are dealing with this. So anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll put a bow on that. But interesting, interesting topic. <laughs> interesting, it's a good one. Yeah, this yep. has been a good one. We yeah, all this is sorts good. Of stuff. Yeah, um, I'm a, so going to. Is it number me? three? Number three? Uh, uh, number yes. Three. I'm excited to hear what you have. By the way, I don't know. If it's going to <laughs> so <happen>. this, will, <laughs> this will
1: this will dictate what comes because it's I could it could be coming out anywhere. Who knows. <laughs> um, uh, Lucid, Lu- Lucid losses put Saudi Arabia's EV strategy in the headlamps. Lucid, a U.S. company in which the uh, public investment fund, Saudi Public Investment, owns a 60.46% stake, fell well short of endless forecast on Tuesday with a sharp first quarter revenue fall and a cut to its 2023 production outlook, according to Reuters. That performance could put another potential dent in Saudi plans to build its own EV industry, which includes Lucid's, Lucid's first management manufacturing plant outside the U.S. as part of the far-reaching diversification plan led by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Selma.
0: Richard, there were some interesting comments in this Reuters piece. Um, you know, first of all, almost every EV firm that isn't Tesla is having a hard time right now, and that's mm. just the way it is, and th- that includes some quite viable companies like Rivian and others. And then you also have, um, you know, some that won't make it. But Lucid's gonna make it. And Richard, we talked, it should have been your one big thing last week, but I'm glad it wasn't because Captagon was awesome, but you got to drive in a Lucid. It's a (laughs) freaking awesome car. Um, And so, you know, but one of the quotes from this is the EV manufacturing plan is still one of the boldest parts of the Saudi plan said Justin Alexander, director at Haliji Economics and Golf Analyst at Golf Source Partners. Um, you know, it is, it is bold to to basically tech transfer a bunch of massive EV company and set it up in Saudi Arabia and manufacture it. And so I'm not surprised to hear it's struggling, but it's also, you know, that's kind of how everything is going right now.
1: Yeah, you're right. Uh, Tesla's the only high-end one that is is moving along. Um, Further, another quote from that article, which is a good one, and maybe give some insight on what the Saudis are looking at. It's, quote, rather than fixing on short-term results, the future of PIF, Stake, in Lucid will be dependent on the plans to build a Lucid factory in Saudi, on taking Lucid private again, and or on the potential integration with SEER, unquote. This was uh, Global Sovereign Wealth Fund Managing Director, Diego Lopez. SEER um, is another... Uh, EV maker that they see, or they have a joint venture with. It's an Apple Foxcom, and they are also going into the King Abdullah Economic City, where Lucid will be, on that Red Sea coast. So you see them, see them growing. You know, you see them sort of the germination of a plan here. And um, yeah, I didn't know. I think it's interesting. Um, Saudi has remained a committed investor in Lucid. Uh, they invested around 3.6 billion in 2018. in March this year uh they loaned them another 266 million and about that again last April and the Saudi Industrial Development Fund also loaned the company 1.4 billion in 2022. so so at, at, your point is a good one about this one won't fail because obviously lucid, uh, for all these companies, cash, you know, the, you know, burn rate and and cash reserves and that sort of thing is critical. It's often nice to have, you know, a committed PIF behind you. The other thing is, from what I understand about Lucid, a lot of not only is the car quite stunning and technologically really impressive, but that technology is something that's valuable too, battery technology and other things. And these are all things that that I guess Saudi Arabia isn't just investing in you know the production of evs it's investing in the technology uh and lucid seems to be a good bet the problem is supply chains inflation supply and inflation you know production uh line issues have really dampened their their um their stock price and by the way they and they and rivian have just been slammed Mm mm-hmm I've seen June. a yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Year over year, January. I mean, in 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 January of 22, Rivian was over a hundred dollars. Uh, Lucid was about 40. They're now at the beginning of this year, and they'll be lower. They're both under
0: 20. Uh, Bar- bargain hunting time, yeah. and this now, will happen. This yeah, will that'll happen.
1: happen. Yep. But you know, you've got people. Ford, GM, Neo, Volkswagen they, you know they, they, they're all out there and, and some of these Chinese manufacturers, BYD and SGMW are doing over a million units a year and moving along at the, at the lower end uh, it, you know the, the the F150 lightning's doing well. the uh, e Mustang uh, is doing well. So there's some electrical electric vehicles that are doing okay. I don't know if any of them are making money except for Tesla. Tesla's making real money now.
0: Tesla is crushing it, um, and they're beating production for- forecast and everything. Just wanted to add last thing we tied into the, the whole neon thing. I mean, that's where they're going to be putting one of the um, the Lucid factories, and you know, I mean, building a EV factory is ex- extraordinarily complex. It's not something you just snap your fingers and do, or even like copy from the U.S. and try to bring over because it's complex. So. You know, it's it's going to take some time, um, but they are manufacturing cars. There's a lot of EV automakers that got big money, Series B and C investments that will not make a single car. So, yeah, um, yeah. you know, it, Lucid's out there. I see them driving around here, Richard, and I, I know you drove one, and Rivian is out there. I saw a few of those, and they look sweet. I see a lot. I see a fair number
1: of Rivians, but more, you know, I, I don't see a fair number. I see some Rivians.
0: Yeah. It's funny, cool. you
1: know, from the back, it looks just like a normal pickup truck. You know, what's distinctive is those headlights. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's electric. So
0: they're like a hundred G's too. So yeah. well,
1: yeah. and that's the problem. These the luxury, you know, there will definitely I feel like there'll be a shakeout in the luxury end mm-hmm. of EVs because that's where everyone's coming in. That's where the early adapters are. Um, but you know, can you make money there? And I, I think, you know, as some of these bright People would say it in the article. I mean, it's a long term play. So, I, my guess is they'll ride it out.
0: Mm-hmm. Richard Yella, number four. Surprise, Yella. Saudi Arabia to develop Medina into a modern Islamic and cultural destination. Saudi Arabia is planning to transform Islam's second holiest city of Medina into a quote, modern Islamic and cultural destination, according to a report yesterday by Arab News the project, which is part of the kingdom's vision, 2030 strategy will be overseen by the Rua Al Medina holding company, a real estate firm owned by the PIF in partnership, um, with, I got the, I get this, uh, messed up actually, Richard, but yeah. So this project is sort of, if you can see it and we'll have, uh, images of it is huge is ma- is a- absolutely massive. Yes. Um, and, th- and they are really going to change the face of that city in some areas. I like it. This is a good one because it, again, this is like the Jeddah Central
1: Project or some of what they're doing in the in the in the southwest, the Asir uh, and the and the projects and you know, we were talking about when I came back and when I was there in Riyadh, I happened to get learn that they're going to be doing this in the eastern province too. I mean, these are some huge projects going on. And you don't hear much about the rural Medina, uh, mm-hmm. but yet it's an enormous, enormous undertaking. And again, it makes sense. You know, they're trying to they're trying to translate. You know, they want to have thirty million pilgrims by twenty thirty, and they want those pilgrims to come and spend money and have nice places to stay and want to stay over and go see the sites. So it, it's it's all interlocking and it makes sense. And certainly, this project is is fascinating in both its scope and also its sort of modernity. You know it has a it has a it really has a you know a a, a design city feel to it
0: it looks cool it looks awesome um richard just this week um they announced another 1056 keys as part of a deal with a core group we actually featured this today in the news the Sustig newsletter so they signed a deal with the Accor Group, which is a French hotel brand with a lot of uh, names you'd probably recognize, Swiss Hotel, Novotel, and Fairmont. So they'll have those three hotels going in. They also signed a deal with Marriott, US-based Marriott last month, or maybe it was earlier this month, but recently they signed a deal with Marriott and they will open eight hotels with 4,400 rooms and they'll have a Ritz-Carlton, Marriott, Westin, Little Meridian, Four Points, Aloft. So yeah, I mean, this. I mean, that's two massive deals and you can just see there's going to be at least, you know, 15 hotels there that be, and it'll be a huge city to visit, which is cool. Exactly. Cool. Um,
1: Boy Giant, yellow number five. Boy Giant Hasbro and Saudi Entertainment Adventures seven are teaming up to launch the world's first Transformers themed indoor entertainment centers. And you need to tell me why you
0: included this one. Are you a trans- secret Transformers fan? I'm um, not. I did watch the original cartoon when I was a kid with the, the oh. robots in disguise, <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> the theme parks
1: will open at three of seven's entertainment
0: destinations in Saudi Arabia.
1: Each of the park- parks will have themed attractions and immersive experiences depicting Autobots, heroics and the scheming of the Decepticons. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I don't know why I included this, Richard, but it's just cool. And it's a good I, one. Um, you know, go ahead.
1: <laughs> Look, uh, I went to uh, the World Boulevard in Riyadh in March. It was awesome. It was so impressive. It was vast. It was creative. It was well-executed. It was clean. It was uh, a, a all around entirely positive experience and i was there solo i was just chomping around so it was great for me some you know some american guy uh it's, it'd be extraordinary for families and that's what i saw mostly saudis with families uh it has a lagoon it has things to do it has a uh it, it was it, it was really and it, it like i said it was vast it took me a long time to walk around the whole thing and all of it was interesting and fun um all that to say is you know uh this, you know, seven, seven is plan- seven is a public investment fund firm. It's planning to invest $13.3 billion to develop 21 integrated entertainment destinations in 14 cities. So we're talking RIA, Harj, Mecca, Jeddah, Taif, Damam, Kobar Lhasa, and elsewhere. Uh for the purpose of giving people things to do. I mean, this is a quality of life issues issue and and they're they're going at it hard this one the, the i guess there's at three of those 21 you'll have transformers and i think the one that open here is alhamra which is in riyadh um and i think two of them are open now one in tabuk one in uh riyadh maybe not they're open but about to be open um so anyway it's it's you know they the they, they're expected you know this this one in in Riyadh is expected to have 6 million visitors a year. It's going to have an indoor adventure center an edutainment attraction, clip and climb, 40 unique challenges. Of course, the transformers themes ride-based attraction. Cool. It's just, you know, going from nothing to do in Riyadh, save go to the desert or drift or whatever to just having all sorts of things to do.
0: Yeah. Um, the only thing I kind of want to add to this, and this is a little bit out there, But we did talk about sort of Saudi Arabia changing as a society, you know, and fighting radicalism, especially in the early 2000s. From 2001 to 2006, they had a really terrible homegrown tourism, uh, terrorism problem, and they coordinated with the United States closely on that to fight it and defeat it. Part of the reason why a lot of uh, these, you know, young people were going into Islamic terrorism is because they were incredibly bored and they were unstimulated and they were just sitting around. And now you look at Saudi Arabia and you can pretty much anywhere you live, you're not going to be bored. You're you're going to have these opportunities to go out and see and interact with other people and become part of society. Um, I know again, this maybe that's out there, but like you, Saudi Arabia today is completely different. And and things like this help.
1: Well, it's never—it's you know—it's
0: usually not a good formula to have your youth unengaged and
1: uh, unemployed, unengaged, and bored.
0: Mm-hmm. Which nope. actually,
1: <laughs> apparently, and this is one of the most exciting things at these theme parks. So there's 21. Apparently, there is a plan for eight Play-Doh theme parks to open.
0: Now, a Play-Doh theme park, I would would be a lot of fun that would be sweet i know my kids would be stoked about that oh for sure (laughs) and you're saying you wouldn't be stoked well i would pretend like i wasn't but yeah i'd be super (laughs) excited (laughs) um richard Yella, number six saudi arabia and netherlands agree to collaborate on green energy saudi arabia and the netherlands on thursday signed a memorandum of understanding to collaborate on the development of green energy and hydrogen the Netherlands could be the main destination for the transport of hydrogen derived from renewable energy sources from Saudi Arabia to Europe. Saudi Arabia's Minister of Energy, Prince Abdelaziz bin Salman, said at the World Hydrogen Summit in Rotterdam. Interesting. I think people forget, I don't know if people forget, but it's
1: easy to forget that, especially anything energy related, but any of these, these uh, you know, capital intensive uh mega projects are marathons. And I say that because this article was in the Sustig review today, along with another article that had the CEO of Saudi Aramco, Amin Nasser, talking about the difficulties in marketing blue hydrogen, because it's too expensive. And blue hydrogen is, you know, just as many of you know, is is, uh, produced, uh, and this in, in Saudi Arabia, they'll do it with natural gas, but it's carbon capture that reduces emissions, so it qualifies as blue. It's not green, which is produced by renewable energy, so there's zero emissions, um, or close to zero. But you know, he's saying that you know, you know, when we go out to the market and analysts talk with us, they're saying it's equivalent of two hundred fifty dollars a barrel today, a which means it's three times higher than the current Brent price. So, which means there's not a market for it. There's people producing it but there's not a market for it um interestingly enough netherlands and to go back to your what your your yellow which is a good one um netherlands is one of two eu countries that has subsidies for imported green hydrogen and blue hydrogen is not part of the project but i say that and this is one of the interesting things about saudi arabia saudi arabia is is Uh, you know, gearing up to produce 2.2 gigawatts of green hydrogen out of NEON. And a lot of that, I think, is going to go, you know, will go to EU. But it's interesting in this that they're saying, all right, Netherlands and Rotterdam is a good point of entry for us. And if they're building facilities, maybe we can do green hydrogen. But all that to say is, there's a long way between here and there. And a lot of it has to do with technology. A lot of it has to do with, um, you know, markets, materializing a great deal of it has to do with government subsidies to make it happen and not just Saudi Arabia we're talking globally because you know they don't make market sense green blue hydrogen anyway but maybe in other ways too they don't make market sense until unless it's helped out initially with government subsidies so anyway this is this this is a good yellow because it it sort of leads us into a bunch of different things but the, the thing I always, uh, you know, same thing with the Giga projects, same thing with so much of what they do, you know, they announce it now, but it's not going to be seen or, or realized for some time to come. And there's a tremendous amount of investment and work between here and there. Yeah. Uh, you know, hydrogen as a viable uh, revenue producing export is still a distance away.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Richard, we are up against our hard stop. And I I don't want to add anything on top of that. Beautifully done. Great point. Yes, look at the timing. It's pretty perfect. Spot on. Well done. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This was a good one, Richard. We will be back with episode 87. And once again, losing my microphone. (laughs) You moved. Don't move. It would be so good to have that happen one more time <laughs> wouldn't it um, sorry everybody uh we will be back next week with episode 87 um and richard thank you very much this was good i'm gonna clap lightly so i don't unplug anything yeah yeah, yeah don't <laughs> don't
1: disrupt the whole do yeah,
0: this was great thank you lucian thank you see you next week